Champagne. Salute. Gambe. Skull. Prost. Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folktales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Yeah, hello and everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Drunken Story Sup- Surprise? The Drunken Story Surprise? It is always a surprise when I do these things. I mean the Drunken Storyteller. Um, I'm surprised I've made it this far. As I say, it's a surprise. Woo, surprise. And I've made more than one of these, uh, <laughs> you say. But hey, it's fun, and I get to dig around in the backwaters of folklore, myths and legends, and all sorts of weird stuff. So, for this episode, um, I tried to find a drink that would go with the topic, which is dragons. But, well, apparently I can't find cheap dragon alcohol. Um, there's some nice whiskies out there, which I have tried before, but they're like £40 a bottle, and uh, I wasn't going to buy a £40 bottle of scotch um, for, for this. So, in this, in, instead, I've got a um, Cobra, Cobra beer. Now, I know cobras aren't dragons and they're snakes and things, but there's actually another reason why I've got cobra. It's because my bonus bit, uh, the podcast-only story and discussion, is going to be based on something called the Vritra from Indian and Vedic mythology. But we will talk about that later. Uh, You may have noticed as well um, on the podcast, YouTube, Twitch thing that I've got a uh, new logo, banner, icon thing. And if you're watching it on YouTube or Twitch, you notice I've got it's all kind of down here um, as well. Uh, This was done by the awesomely talented uh, Copper Dragon over on Instagram. So go give her a like and uh, do some cool things on it. So we've got a I hope I'm pointing the right way. Am I pointing the right way? No. So that one over there, that's Krampus. And that's P-U-S-S, Krampus, it's a cat. Uh, we've got, uh, on the other side, Humphrey Bogart, who's a boggart, surprisingly enough. And on the actual logo, you'll notice there's Gary the Cobbold dangling around somewhere. Uh, one day I might even write a story that relates all three of them together and why they're kind of harassing me out of a book cover. But we'll see. So, anyway, yes, this episode is all about them, their dragonies, dragos, wivens, whims and drakes. So, loads of them. Those are different things. Uh, it's them, their things that fly in the sky and tend to breathe fire and eat people. Mostly in the the, the, the European myths, they breathe fire and have the fire thing. Everywhere else they seem to be related to water. But anyway, they do still kind of eat people and do bad shit in other countries. But there are also some good ones. Uh, so, before we get into the stories, as I've already started doing, I'm having a waffle. Because... Um, I like using my voice and I've not used it for a while, so so let's give you an idea about dragonese, dragons and things, dragos. As this is a podcast and I don't really want it to go on for very long, um, I'm not going to cover too much. So there's so much lore and history and knowledge and all sorts of stuff about dragons out there from all kinds of places all over the world so you've got your classic western dragon which we we're talking about a minute ago they hoard gold they breathe fire most of them why have something to do with fire they eat people a lot um they eat churches the buildings they eat cattle they just are a general pain in the ass and they just kind of go around and do nasty shit so that's that's the west classic western dragons they breathe fire where are we they um 
there's loads of them weirdly in England in over the British Isles uh, almost every county in in England has a story based on a dragon you've obviously got the Welsh dragon as well um, St George and the dragon is probably the most famous one uh, but that actually comes from Turkey so if you kind of follow uh, the history behind it all it actually comes from Turkey so yeah uh, our most famous dragon story is an English anyway uh, you've also then got kind of things like Vafnir from the Yorm's Viking saga so kind of your Viking-esque stories and stuff um, then you've also kind of you can travel over to Asia and you've got oriental folklore and mythology um, where the creatures are of great wisdom and age for example the Japanese Liu um, is associated with a, being a water deity rather than anything to do with fire and it is formed up of actually many different animals rather than being a single creature itself it takes aspects from other animals so for example you've got eagle claws tiger feet eyes of a hare scales of a koi body of a snake ears of a water buffalo and horns of a stag to name but a few we see dragons taking on different forms to fit kind of the culture that they come from so um now you've got your asian dragon being more watery and kind of more um, spiritual than the the fighty nature of the western dragons um, now i'm about to butcher a name here so let me give this a go quetzalcoatl um, is a mesoamerican so incan aztec kind of area period of time deity whose name means feathered serpent so we've got things in america um, we can move to Africa, where we have the Kenyanite Lotan, who is a seven-headed, twisting and powerful serpent, and was slain by Baal, or a virgin warrior goddess called Anat, depending on which version of the story you read. Lotan is also apparently related in etymology to the Leviathan, uh, which is a sea dragon from the Bible, who was killed by Yahweh in the kind of creation myth of Judaism. So that's a kind of cool thing. Uh, then here's, here's kind of something even cooler. There is um, a name that many of you may know. Um, so there's also Tiamat, um, who's an ancient Babylonian primordial goddess of sea salt, uh, a symbol of chaos and primordial creation. And obviously this is used in many, many, many kind of uh, pop culture references. So you've got Final Fantasy games along with all its other mythical creatures it's used in D&D um, as a multi-headed big ass dragon that's both in the tabletop and in the cartoon um, if you watch the cartoon Tiamat is probably the big bad that the dungeon master has to try and get rid of and the plucky little teenage kids have to go and fight but yeah so I might kind of actually look into um, like the the low town and Tiamat stories maybe at some point because they are kind of cool um, especially Tiamat um, really kind of fun stories in the the, the um, Babylonian myths and legends so yeah there's all sorts of dragons all over the world um, and that's enough of me waffling I've waffled for like eight eight minutes or so um, before I've even talked about my first story um, I've given you a bit of a hint well I didn't give you a bit of a hint actually I didn't tell you anything about it I'm gonna be telling one story from England one story from Britain a British folktale and then my second story which will only be over on the podcast is as I say is an Indian oh excuse me is an Indian um, story or an Indian myth from the uh, enough of that I'll tell you that on the podcast if you want to know what that is go listen to it 
So, now, grab yourself a drink and enjoy the stories. Tale 1. The Dragon of Wantley. So, this first story that I'm going to tell is apparently the most famous dragon story in England. Apparently. Because whoever wrote this kind of knowledgey bit, which I found, hadn't heard of St George and the Dragon, which is obviously the most famous dragon story in England. And it's also, actually, it's not one that I'd heard until recently, uh, where I listened to it on the Tales of the British Isles podcast. And I thoroughly recommend this podcast. Uh, the guy who runs it does a much better job of telling stories than I do. He has better discussions, he's less drunk, and his sidetracks that he takes are more interesting and entertaining than mine. I think he has a lot more <laughs> close relationship to folklore and folk tales than I do, where I just go around and butcher them and... Uh, kind of bugger them up really i suppose so yeah go check him out um please do he's brilliant he's kind of like one of the inspirations as to why i started doing this along with a few other things but yeah so for the dragon of Watney, i've taken the original ballad um from when it was it like the 17th century um 18th century early 18th century can't remember when uh, and turned it into a shittier there is a pun intended here piece of prose uh, I've also taken a few liberties with it as well, um, just for the fun of it, because who doesn't like to butcher things more? It's also apparently an opera um, that I have not seen or read anything about, and I will not regale you with any operatic singing, because uh, you need your eardrums to listen to other things other than my drony voice. So, I will take a sip, and we shall begin the story. In the old village of Wantley... There was a blight on the land, and no, it wasn't the great town of Sheffield that is just up the road, but a great beast, one with a voracious appetite. It lived upon a hill and raided from the skies. It was a huge winged beast with a great sting in its tail that was as long as a flail. Now, I'm guessing it's a dragon-sized flail here, uh, and not a normal kind of flail that a knight would go around, otherwise that's a really big dragon with a really stubby little tail and probably isn't that scary. Rumours abound that it was a cub of the seven-headed dragon Lerner, slew by the mighty Heracles. Unsubstantiated rumours, mind, but rumours nonetheless. Being a dragon with a great appetite, this beast on the hill also had a mouth full of four and forty of iron, and he shall be known as Lord Chompybits, munchy munchy munch. So, uh, uh, yeah, I've named him Lord Monty, but... Mon I can speak. So, uh, with that great maw of eye and teeth, the dragon would eat anything and everything that took his fancy. One week, it would eat all the trees in a forest. The next, it would eat all the fish in a river. The next, all of the houses. It even ate a church once. Um, it would eat all the cattle, all the sheep... Occasionally a farmer. So he kind of just like picked and chose what he wanted to eat every now and then. Um, and the villagers just kind of went, eh, it's a dragon, what can we do? It's not eating us yet. But then it took three children and ate them up like apples. Uh, this bit puts a kind of a very strange image in my mind is as a, as a dragon trying to eat a child like an apple. And I'm not quite sure how it does that. Does it fold them up into an apple shape and then eat them and 
what are the core and seeds and bits and or does it just kind of turn it into like a sweet corn thing and munch along i don't know it just it's what it says in the ballad it eats them like an apple uh, so take it up with the guy who originally wrote this not me so after finally getting fed up of having to rebuild houses hire new farmers steal new fish steal new fish steal fish from other rivers and replace three children uh, the villagers decided to go and seek help god knows why it took them so long um after all that i would have probably gone pretty quickly i'm not known for liking to build houses very regularly so um the villagers knew of a brave and glorious knight snigger who lived up at moor hall um, and they went to beseech his services they begged and pleaded and sobbed and cried and procrastinated procrast Prost, uh, prostrated uh, and prostrated themselves at his manner i really should learn how to read oh save us more of more hall thou peerless knight of these woods do but slay the dragon who won't leave us on a rag we'll give thee all our goods so um they will give some more all of their belongings to help get rid of a dragon that is stealing and eating all of their belongings uh, okay villagers can't can't argue with their logic can you see klaus in my warhammer fantasy roleplay game thank you chig now being a knight and living in the area he was well aware of the dragon and how big and mighty it was and despite some stories portraying him as a drunk well he is a bit to be honest he wasn't overtly stupid as a knight maybe he thought that to defeat this beast he need he would need a new set of armor to protect himself so off he set to the grand old city of sheffield that great steel working city over yonder hill now, anybody who's not from england uh, sheffield is famous for making steel it's getting nicer as a town but it's still a bit grim um it's a bit grim up north i shouldn't say that because i'm up north um and i do like the north but yeah sheffield is uh it's an old industry town and there's lots of steel works and shindigs up here shindigs i don't know anyway now yes he wanted a new shiny strong set of armor to fight the dragon in so he could be protected but he also had some um designs in mind for it shall we say now he wanted spikes all the spikes you know like all the spikes everywhere the ballad states that spikes are to be own uh, what does it say the ballad states that the spikes are to only be not within but without so gives me you a kind of interesting look as to kind of the the the, the thought processes either behind the guy who wrote the ballad or behind the thought processes of your uh, blacksmiths um, why would they even consider putting spikes on the inside of a set of armor rather than on the outside yeah well ye oldy people and all that so he got himself a set of armor covered in all the spikes literally spikes everywhere covered from head to toe in spikes as he's walking back he was thinking wow this is the best idea i've ever had i am the coolest and most protected knight ever 
The people shall be in awe of my might and my armour. And wah, how cool do I look? Uh, in truth, though, uh, the people sniggered at him as he walked past. Uh, and animals ran away from him as he looked more like a shiny, large, outlandish hedgehog rather than anything else. So, as I say, yeah, not that intelligent, really, is he? Now, have a little bit of a drink before we get into the entertainment. Now, there is little entertainment to be had in these parts. Uh, just work in the fields, chasing the occasional escaped pig, and going to the remains of the church for Mass on a Sunday. Obviously the church having already been eaten by the dragon. The best thing that had happened up till now was when old Phil fell face down in some pig muck, turning him from old Phil to stinky Phil. So when the night came back and the fight was on, everyone came out to watch. It was like that big fight between Conor McGregor and Manny Pacquiao. It was like that kind of level of excitement was going on. Who's going to win? you got the big fighty dragon who's the best at fighting ever and eats everything against this knight who's wearing a hedgehog set of armour. And the crowds and the people were mad excited. They sat on roofs of obviously those that remain um, because the dragon's eaten a load of houses. Um, they sat up in the remaining trees again, those that were still around that hadn't been eaten, to get a good view of what was around and what was bound to be one of the most exciting, epic showdowns of biblical proportions that they'd ever seen. Now, considering they'd never seen anything of biblical proportions and epicness in their entire lives, literally someone could have shot a bow and arrow at a bird and they'd have been excited by it. So, I'm not sure they knew really what they were getting in for. However, on the morning of the fight, the knight was, well, shall we say a little bit worried? He'd never actually fought a dragon before. Or done much fighting for quite some time. He was getting on in years, and he got his knighthood back when he was a kid because he went around and killed some stuff that was bugging his local lord. So, uh, yeah, he, he wasn't feeling kind of great about it. So, well, to boost his courage, he, uh, he took some, uh, some liquid courage. Uh, some of this, I'm guessing it's probably not Cobra beer, because that's from India, but probably some of the local ale. There's, um, there's some nice beers around in Yorkshire. I'll give them that. In fact, floating around here somewhere. Yes, there we go. I've got some vocation. Uh, life and death vocation. That's from Yorkshire out in Hebden Bridge. Really nice place, Hebden Bridge. If you ever get the chance, do recommend you go there. Um, it's also where Sylvia Plath's grave is, up a buggery of a hill to climb up. So, uh, I've lost where I am now. This is a problem with me taking myself off from topic. So yes, he, he decided to take himself some liquid courage. Uh, six pints of ale and a quart of aquavitae. I'm going to guess aquavitae here is some kind of uh, spirit. Um, changes depending on the story quite a lot as to what that really is but i'm going to guess it's like some really strong spirit to get him really pissed so yeah thoroughly happy now and confident with himself from having drunk all of this stuff he marched out in the ballad oh, i forgot about this bit <laughs> this is funny so um this is really weird so he he, he has his drinks um and he goes out marching and there's a bit in the um ballad that talks about the villagers 
as they get excited about kind of going out and watching it. It talks about penises, I think. <laughs> the line goes, but these put on their trousers not to spoil their hose. So it specifically states in the ballad that the villagers go out and they put on their trousers not to spoil their hose, which I'm guessing means that they're going to put their trousers on to cover up their dicks. Uh, I don't quite know what to make of it. I didn't quite know how to fit it into the story, uh, but I put myself a little note here about it, and it's just like the weirdest thing ever because it doesn't fit in with any of the rest of it whatsoever. Just this random bit about uh, covering up your hose. Anyway, so now the brave, slightly pissed knight of Moor, made his way to Wantley, whereupon he called out a challenge to the dragon in a loud and booming voice. He decried, Oi, you! You big bastard! Come pick on someone your own size! I challenge you to a fight, you big bastard! Come have at thee! For I am a knight and... Yeah, I want my sword. And I got me things. And I'm going to punch you right in the nose. Looking on, the crowd cheered and whooped in excitement, thinking the drunkenness all a ploy. Oh, how wrong they were. Upon seeing the dragon take to the skies and let out a mighty roar, the knight, well, now he really thought he had made a terrible mistake. So, trembling and probably crapping himself and wetting himself for just a little bit, let's be honest, like if, if you saw a fucking dragon flying through the sky and you just told him that he was a bit of an ass and he was coming for you, I think you'd be a bit scared as well. So, yeah, I don't... Don't really feel... Yeah, it's his own fault. So yeah, uh, the knight, so trembling and probably crapping and wetting himself, let's be honest, uh, he took off and hid in the village well. Yes, the well where they got water from and it's it kind of kept the village alive. It's one thing, one of the few things that the dragon had not eaten at this point. Um, so yeah, he'd hidden in the well. The dragon arrived and he could not find the man-thing that had taunted him so. So, he was a little naffed off, to be honest. So he took to eating a few more houses and a few more trees, just to kind of prove a point. It's like, you don't challenge me, otherwise I eat your houses, and I eat your trees, and you're all a bit buggered. So, but the rocks and the woods, uh, well, today they were they were not sitting well. They kind of, they, they scratched his throat a little bit, they scratched his insides a little bit, and they kind of, well, made him feel not, not, not so good. So, as, as is wont, uh, the dragon decided he just kind of went, well, I'm thirsty as well, and my throat is scratching now from eating all those rocks and all those trees. I'm going to go have a drink. The closest bit of water to him was the well. Um, he'd, all, he'd got bored of the river, um, he'd eaten all the fish there, and it just wasn't pretty clean, to be honest, that river anymore, so he went to the well. So the villagers put their hands over their mouths, sniggering, <laughs> knowing that the brave knight had hid in the well, thinking that this was his plan all along. They were waiting for him to jump out at any moment and attack the dragon. Well, uh, let me tell you, that is not quite what happened. So yeah, the rocks and the trees, were they really weren't sitting right in the dragon's gut. And uh, you could hear a slow rumbling coming from him and gurgling turning a bubbling coming from the dragon 
And he started to walk over the well. It looked as a dragon could, more and more green and pale. A slight sheen coming to its scales. It started to sweat a little bit. And rather than um, take a drink from the well, rather than stick its head down the well, it turned and appeared as if to sit upon the well. More noises could be heard coming from the dragon, rumblings and gurglings and all manner of foul smells. I'm going to have a drink because this bit gets a bit weird. If this entire fucking story wasn't weird, to be honest. Um, Our brave knight had hid in this well, was looking up, staring at the sky, waiting to hear the dragon disappear. What he actually saw, however, was the light from above slowly get blocked out by a giant dragon ass. Hearing the noise, noises coming from it and smelling the foul air wafting from it, the knight very nearly did what the dragon was clearly about to do. In sheer panic and terror before a deluge, the dragon, not the dragon, the knight, jabbed up with his sword into the arse gut. Yep, and that's actually what it's called in the the, the ballad, the arse gut. Um, The dragon was pierced and let forth a deluge of almighty sludge from two holes now in its ass. Ever one for dramatics, as dragons are, as he wailed about releasing his guts all over the night, the well and the village, it cried, Murder! Murder! Alack! Alack for grief! Had you but missed that place, you could have done me no mischief. And the dragon died a slow, painful, messy and somewhat stinky death. The knight was heralded as a hero and mighty champion of cunning and skill and bravery. Little did the people know the truth of it, and little did he tell them. For all the booze and all the parties and all the gifts and presents and gold and women and things that he was given, who was he to deny them their hero? So, there you go. Uh, that's my kind of take on the Dragon of Wantley. Um, now, as, as I said, I have taken liberties with this. I've added a few bits in, padded a few bits out, and kind of moved things around a little bit just to kind of take the piss a little bit i suppose but it's also adds a bit of life to it i feel in my own weird way Uh, some of the versions of the story actually have the knight actually being brave and having a proper fight with the dragon rather than just running away and hiding and stuff but i kind of like the idea of him just kind of lucking out and doing stuff because it does talk about the the knight getting drunk and and having all that beer and and aquavite beforehand so i kind of like the idea of him just kind of it's it's liquid courage and it kind of fails him a little bit so um yeah and um just the the bit about him being covered in shit well um again you can blame that wonderful person that i mentioned earlier tales from the british isles um it's his fault he used it in his version i'm using it in my version and i think it adds a little bit of a laugh to it so anyway so welcome to the podcast only section of the show um, and a little apology before I continue uh, this bit is recorded about 90 minutes after the video bit is recorded and I realised there was a very 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 minor mistake in the the other part like tail one of it 
Now, luckily, this has nothing to do with the story because most of the story is a mistake, to be fair, if you listen to it. It's a little bit of a shit show, shall we say? But yeah, um, before any of the fight fans and, and MMA and boxing fans get on to me, uh, it was meant to be Conor McGray versus Floyd Mayweather, not Manny Pacquiao. So, well, live recordings. Ugh. Right, now on to story number two, the slaying of Vitra. So the second dragon I am going to be looking at is something a little different and not something I have really looked at or was aware of really until I started looking into the mythologies of dragons um, and going beyond the European and Japanese myths that I do know of. So this one comes from something that I'm really looking forward to kind of delving into more at later points in the future. As I've stated in the intro, there are a lot of dragons from all over the world in varying forms, ideologies and and kind of i don't know what to say really here uh, ideologies and spiritualities and kind of elements and things that they're related to um and the one that this one this story is going to look at uh, it's going to tell the story that is of the vritra the demonic serpent or the asura which is a personification of drought and the adversary of indra in the rig veda of hinduism now i am going to apologize here a lot of the words in this come from the Sanskrit uh, language and I am, uh, well, I'm going to butcher these words because, yeah, and I, I'm going to apologise so much here because I really want to be able to pronounce them but I just don't have the the ability to uh, for various reasons. So uh, please, please do forgive me uh, for how this is all going to appear. Anyway, so Vritra uh, also appears in other later texts rather than just the Vedas um, so it kind of in, uh, appears in the Puranic texts and other things as well so I have only also just started looking into this as well so if there is mistakes in the mythology and the story I apologize it is something very 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 new to me I have absolutely loved looking into this and I have I got sidetracked so much looking into the mythology of Hinduism that it took me a, a, a while to kind of uh, actually stay on focus and write this and uh, well. So yeah, I thought it would be really cool to, and interesting to look at something where we don't really associate kind of like that dragon mythology with. So when you think of dragon mythology, you think of the Western ideas, you think of the Asian, the Oriental ideas of dragon mythology. We don't really apply it anywhere else in the world. So I thought, where can I go? And I, I, I found this story. Um, so I will be telling the story from the Rig Veda. And I will not be making... Uh, this is something uh, I've known about for quite some time. When I started kind of looking into the Viking mythology and the Norse mythology and the, the sagas and stuff. There's a very, very distinct connection between the Vedas and the sagas uh, so the poetic edda and the other other sagas and stuff there's a very clear connection between the the, the norse gods and the hindu gods and i will not be i'm not going to make any connections between them i may every now and then say something about it because i am not good at that side of it i'm not uh, a scholar in this kind of stuff and there are many scholarly articles out there on that and I do know that one of the gods that I'll be talking about in this and mentioning in this is kind of closely related to Thor. So Indra and Thor are, are connected in a way. I don't know anything about it. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. 
but there's lightning bolts and, and, and shit in there. So um, with this story, the first bit is me directly reading from an English translation of the Rig Veda by Ralph T. H. Griffith, in, uh, taken from a 198, not a 19, an 1896 translation. At the end, there's a little bit of prose to kind of help you explain what is going on. But I did kind of feel that the the original translations needed to be heard because uh, they kind of give you more of a feeling of how fucking cool this shit is. And um, guess where I got the English versions from? It's it's my favourite website and it's kind of the favourite website for folklorists and all sorts of things. Of all things public domain, www.sacred-text.com. So go there and you'll have a lot more information on this kind of stuff. So. A word of warning though, this first part, this is a 19th century translation of a religious text. They do not always follow a true timeline and the language is a little bit odd. So I will read these, these verses of poetry which are taken from Sanskrit and translated to 19th century English. I will read those and then at the end I will, I'm going to say a little bit about them, try and clarify kind of what they're actually saying and kind of create a story of the slaying of Ritra as it occurs and blah, 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 blah. So please um, do bear with me. The first bit, I will I'll give you the names of the verse, uh, the books and the verses that the Rig Veda I'm reading from and then I'll kind of try and summarise it. So as I say again, I will try my best to pronounce some of the names these are not names that i'm used to pronouncing i can i can do kind of east yeah east asian names um because my my background in japanese but this this is a wholly different beast and so i do hand on heart apologize i don't usually get this kind of emotional about stuff but i do hand on heart apologize for anything that i make a mistake on here and if I do, please do let me know. Send me an email. Send me a, t a tweet. Uh, put a message in, in the comments on Apple Podcast or wherever it is. Let me know. Let me know. Please do. Um, so anyway, on with the show. So the first the first bit I'm going to read is from the Rig Veda, book 1, verse 32. I will declare the manly deeds of Indra, the first he achieved, the thunder wielder. He slew the dragon, then disclosed the waters and cleft the channels of the mountain torrents. He slew the dragon on the mountain, his heavenly bolt of thunder, Tsvatsar fashioned, like lowing kine in rapid flow descending the waters, glided downward to the ocean. Impetuous as a bull, he chose the summer, and in three sacred breakers drank the juices. Maghavan grasped the thunder for his weapon, and smote to death this firstborn of the dragons. When Indra, thou hadst slain the dragon's firstborn, and overcome the charms of enchanters, then, giving life to sun and dawn and heaven, thou fondest not only foe to stand against thee, Indra, with his own great and deadly thunder, smote into pieces Vritra, worst of Vritras, as trunks of trees, what time the axe hath felled them. Lo, on the earth so lies the prostrate dragon. He, like a mad, weak warrior, 
challenged Indra, the great, impetuous, many-slaying hero. He, booking not the clashing of weapons, crushed Indra's foe, the shattered forts in falling. Footless and handless still he challenged Indra, who smote him with his bolt between the shoulders, emasculate yet claiming manly vigour, thus Vritra lay with scattered limbs dissevered. There, as he lies with bank-bursting river, the waters taking courage flow above him. The dragon lies beneath the feet of torrents which Vritra, with his greatness, had encompassed. Then humbled was the strength of Vritra's mother. Indra had cast the deadly bolt against her. The mother was above, the sun was under, and like a cow beside her calf lay Danu, rolled in the mists of never-ceasing currents, Flowing without a rest for ever onward, the waters bare of Vritra's nameless body. The foe of Indra sank to during darkness. Guarded by Ahi stood the thralls of Darsus. The waters stayed like kine held by the robber. But he, when he had smitten Vritra, opened the cave wherein the floods had imprisoned. A horse's tail wast thou when he, O Indra, smote on thy bolt. Thou God without a second, thou hast won back the kine, hast won the summer, thou hast let loose flow the seven rivers. Nothing availed him, lightning, nothing thunder, hailstorm or mist which spread around him. When Indra and the dragon strove in battle, Maghavan gained the victory for ever. Whom sawest thou to avenge the dragon? Indra. That fear possessed thy heart when thou hast slain him, that, like a hawk affrighted through the regions, thou crossed nine and ninety flowing rivers. Indra is king of all that moves and moves not, of creatures tame and horned, the thunder-wielder. Over all living men he rules as sovereign, containing all as spokes within the felly. The next part is from the Rig Veda, still from book one, uh, verse 124. Come to this sacrifice of ours, O Agni, threefold with seven threads and five divisions. Be our oblation bearer and preceder. Thou hast lain long enough enduring darkness. I become a god, foreseeing from the godless to immortality by the pathways. While I, ungracious one, desert the gracious, leave mine own friends and seek the kin of strangers. Looking to the guest of other lineages, have founded many a rule of law, I bid farewell to the great God, the Father, and, for neglect, obtain my share of worship. I tarried many a year within this altar. I leave the Father for my choice is Indra. Away, pass Agni, Varuna and Soma, rule ever changes, this I come to favour. The Asuras have lost their power of magic, but thou, O oh Varuna, if thou dost love me. O oh king, discerning truth and right from falsehood, come and be lord and ruler of my kingdom. Here is the light of heaven, here, Alice lovely, here there is radiance, here is air's wide region. Let us, too, slaughter Vritra. Forth, O Soma, thou art oblation. We, therewith, will serve thee. The sage hath fixed my form. 
by wisdom in the heavens. Varuna, with no violence, let the waters flow. Like women folk, the floods that bring prosperity have oh lit his hue and colour as they gleamed and shone. These wait upon the loftiest power and vigour. He dwells in these who triumph in their godhead. And they, like the people who elect their ruler, have abhorrence turned away from Vritra. They call him Swan, the abhorrent flood's companion, moving in friendship with celestial waters. The poets in their thought have looked on Indra swiftly approaching when Anustop calls him. So that's kind of the first two parts of the Rig Veda that mention um, Vritra that I can find um, or that I know of from my little bits of research. The next bit is probably the most in-depth part of the battle between Indra and Vritra. Uh, so Indra being the, the good god, the one who is kind of a little bit like Thor, um, and then Vritra is is like the, the demon god dragon thing. So this part is from the Rig Veda, book 4, verse 18. This is the ancient and accepted pathway by which all gods have come into existence. Hereby one could be born waxen mighty. Let him not otherwise destroy his mother. Now, not this way I go forth. Hard is the passage. Forth from the side obliquely will I issue. Much that is yet undone must I accomplish. One must I combat and the other question. He bent his eye upon the mother dying. My word I now withdraw. That way I follow in Svasta's dwelling. Indra drank the summer. A hundred worth of juice pressed from the mortar. What strange act shall he do? He whom his mother bore for a thousand months and many autumns. No peer hath he among those born already. Nor among those who shall be born hereafter. Deeming him a reproach, his mother hid him, Indra, endowed with all heroic valour. Then up he sprang himself, assumed his vesture, and filled, as soon as born, the earth and heaven. With lively motion onward flow these waters, the Holy One shouting as twere together. Ask them too to tell thee what the floods are saying, what girdling rock the waters burst asunder. Are they addressing him with words of welcome? Will the floods take on them the shame of Indra? With the greatest thunderbolt my son hath slaughtered Vitra, and set these rivers free to wonder. I cast thee from me, mine, thy youthful mother, thee, mine own offspring, Kusava hath swallowed, to him, mine infant, where the water's gracious. Indra, my son, rose up in conquering vigour, Thou art my own, O Maghavan, whom Vyamsa struck to the ground and smote thy jaws in pieces, but smitten though the mastery thou wantest, and with thy bolt the dasa's head thou crushest. The Haifa hath brought forth the strong, the mighty, the unconquerable bull, the furious Indra. The mother left her unclicked calf to wander, seeking himself the path that he would follow. Then to her mighty child the mother turned, saying, My son, these deities forsake thee. Then Indra, 
sought to slaughter Vritra. Oh, my friend Vritra, stride full bodily forward. Who was he then who made thy mother widow? Who sought to stay thy lying still or moving? What god, when by the foot of thy sire thou tookest and slewest, was at hand to give thee comfort? In deepest distress I cooked a dog's intestines. Among the gods I found not one to comfort. My consort I beheld in degradation. The falcon then brought me this pleasant summer. So, right. Okay. Um, that's a trip, isn't it? That's kind of really fucking cool. But it's also, as I say, it's a little bit hard to understand. So here's a, a random little bit of prose that I tried to create to summarise and organise it to make sense. Vritra was a massive douchebag dragon, effectively, who gathered and stole all the waters of the world into himself and basically caused the world to suffer a massive fucking drought. He turned it into a wasteland. He turned the world into a wasteland by sucking all the water into him. He hid in a distant land inside a large fortress, hoarding his treasure, allowing it to be the world to become even more parched. So again, we kind of got the things like dragons like to hoard shit. Uh, usually, in Western society, we we they hoard gold. Apparently, in in Hindu religion, they hoard water. Uh, I'd be more scared of someone who hoarded water than gold. To be fair, I kind of like water to live. Eventually, Indra, uh, who one day would become the king of the gods, decided enough was enough and uh, decided to go and attack the, the Asshat dragon for stealing all the water. Now, he wasn't actually that old. I think, from some of the things I've been reading, he was probably a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks old. So, he was born and uh, was suddenly able to take on a fucking dragon. So, Indra is a boss ass here and when he did he he was drinking immense amounts of soma uh now i'm not entirely sure what soma is here um i'm gonna put hand on heart i didn't do much research into what it is um other than the fact that it's something to do with juice um and it gives him strength so it could be the same thing as from the dragon of wantley myth where the guy gets pissed and somehow gets some courage but i really doubt it these these are a bit more epic and a bit more um, thought-provoking the the Vedic stories so um, yeah so he drinks some Soma it gives him uh, the strength necessary so he set off to beat Vritra into oblivion first Indra stormed Vitra's 99 fortresses raising each in turn he then fought Vitra himself and it was a terrible battle but in the end Vitra was slain um, and Indra hurling the thunderbolt that was created by Zvashtri. Um, during the battle, Vitra, Vitra broke Indra's jaw. Yeah. During the battle, Vitra broke Indra's jaw, but Vitra threw the dragon down and crushed all of the 99 fortresses. Indra, being the kindly and awesome god dude that he is, uh, he released the waters back into the world so we could all live and have water and stuff. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit of a summary of the story. There's there's a lot more to read into it, and there's all kinds of other stuff related to it. Um, but I thought, it just sounds really fucking cool. It's really epic. I really enjoyed looking into it and kind of finding things about it. Um, there are other things in there where Victor is actually slain by sea foam as uh, Indra throws sea foam at him 
and the seafoam is actually an incarnation of Vishnu, who is the the deity, the head deity of Hinduism. And um, you kind of see uh, different stories in different texts, depending on kind of what period of of um, history you look at. So it's it's a it's a it's a different way of looking at dragons. So we see them in the Western society as fire breathing asshats, whereas this actually has um. This is, it's not a fire-breathing asshat, it's a water-stealing asshat. So, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, and I hope you kind of enjoyed, I suppose it's a little bit more serious, that, that, that one, in the way that I've looked at things. So, anyway, uh, that's it for this episode. Please do like and subscribe to all forms of things that I'm doing on here. So, you've got um, this podcast that you're listening to at the moment. So if you're on Apple, please do uh, like, subs- uh, not like, subscribe, uh, like, leave a review, uh, follow me, please leave a comment as to kind of how you liked it. Um, if you leave a comment and, and rate rate it on a podcast, please do because it's actually brilliant and it helps promote me uh, and lets me know what you think. And if you do, I will try and actually put a... A note in my my episodes to say thank you for those of you who have done that um, you can also find me over on twitter um, at the drunken store one so the drunken s-t-o-r one i'm on facebook uh, the drunken storyteller you can find me on email at the drunken storyteller uk at gmail.com so send me suggestions on topics and stories to cover and talk about or just tell me you hate what i'm doing to your precious folklore um and yeah kind of kind of try and promote me please 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 do um i don't get that many listens but it would be nice to kind of get more out there and know how much people hate me there's also, um, I do have another podcast that I work with, which is Darker Days Radio, where me and a couple of people from around the globe talk about horror-themed RPGs, mainly based in the World of Darkness and Chronicles Darkness theme. And I also work on the Dark Hammer side of it, so Warhammer RPGs and other horror themes within those. We have just started out um, again uh, at Enemy Within campaign. We had a break over the Christmas period. Um, and we've just started uh, live streaming that over on Gehenna Gaming on Twitch. The first two episodes are on YouTube um, under the Gehenna Gaming YouTube channel. We're hoping that more will come out soon. And on that note, I will also be running a few games for the virtual horrorcon that Gehenna Gaming are running in in conjunction with. Oh, I'm going to fucking kill myself here because I can't remember the name of the bloody company. Um, the people who create the Chronicles of Darkness stuff. Um, anyway, I will be running a few games for them. Um, I don't have the full details of what they are or what I'll be running, whether it's going to be live or off stream or whatever. But I'm hopefully going to be running three games at least. Uh, one will be a Vesson game based in Scotland rather than Scandinavia. I'm going to be running a Chronicles of Darkness game, a God Machine Chronicle based in Manchester, and hopefully a Warhammer Fantasy game that I have yet to plan. Uh, But yeah, so if you want to check out more of that, so go over to www.virtualhorrorcon.com 
to find out more info on that or go to Darker Days Radio or Gehenna Gaming and you'll find stuff about that. They're on all kind of like the social medias and stuff. Anyway, I'm going to say the drink has run dry now. So all that is left for me to say is thank you and goodbye, my friends. Thank you for listening. <laughs>